You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. God, it's our delight to stop and to pray again in a service today. We love you, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts. It's hard to even express in words how much you mean to us for for what you've done for us on the cross, for giving us your Holy Spirit, for continuing to guide us and lead us in all truth. God, we love you today. We express it through song. We express it through prayer. Now help us express our love for you by sitting at your feet and listening to your word, oh God. Help us understand today, Father, what is being taught from your word. Protect us, Lord, from being here and and wanting to hear what we want to hear today. And even the temptation to take things that maybe not settle well with us and somehow massage them into what we want them to be. God, that's not what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to hear from you today. Simply and plainly, our ears are open, our hearts are ready. We just want to hear what you'd have for us. We expressed a lot to you today. Now express... Now today, your will for our lives as we study Acts chapter 13. God, we pray so much because we need you. We're dependent upon you. God, I I can't preach this in a way that's going to change lives. God, I know the people before me can't hear this in a way that's going to change their life apart from your Holy Spirit. So protect us now, God. Keep the distractions and the enemy at bay and zone us in, Lord, to what you'd have for us, each individual in our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to take a seat. And as I mentioned, Acts 13 is where we are today. Uh, Acts 13, uh, continuing on our On Mission series. We're going to be here this week and then going to get into a bit of an Easter series for the next couple and then back to Acts until the end of June. We're going to finish off this On Mission series. As you turn there, I just want to remind you that Harvest Ottawa is launching today. And so in half an hour... They're launching, and so when we're done, church, you can pray for them. They've already launched, but that's an exciting thing that God is doing. And so uh, just be aware that God is doing more than just here in this region. God is spreading the gospel uh, throughout the ends of the earth and even to different places in Canada. So we're really excited about that. Now, the ushers here are walking down the aisles looking to give you a Bible if you don't have one. If you haven't picked up on that yet, stick your hand way up and they'll give you one. Acts chapter 13, here's the title of today's sermon. It's simply this, Stepping Out for the Cause of Christ. Stepping out for the cause of Christ, let me ask you a question as we begin. When was the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone to do something boldly for God? When was the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone to do something boldly for God? I'm not talking about saying a prayer in a restaurant, although for some of you that's a great place to start, but I'm talking about like, like really, really stepping out and following God into the unknown. Or stepping out and following God and to do something that you know is going to be hard and you know is going to make you uncomfortable, but you're going to do it anyway because that's what God calls you to do. When was the last time you really risked for the Lord? These are all questions that are firing through my mind this week as I'm studying Acts chapter 13. Here's what Acts chapter 13 is. It is a a distinct transition in the book of Acts. And so much so that some people call Acts chapter 13 to 28 like volume number two. What we see happening here is, is, is Peter was the main man, and we saw him in all the stories of Peter. Now we see Paul transitioning to kind of be the, the, the lead role in this whole gospel movement thing. And we see Paul, remember the story of Paul? Acts chapter 9, Paul's this guy who's like using his mouth to like curse God and dissuade people from from going anywhere near God and he's actively opposing believers. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, this bright light. All of a sudden he realizes that that Jesus is for real and he's changed forever. And All of a sudden now his mouth is not being used to curse God but to bless God. His mouth is not being used to, to... point people away from Christ, but to, to draw people to Christ. And for now, the last eight years, it's been about eight years since Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 13, Paul's been like growing in his desire to, uh, to love and serve God. And so we see Acts chapter 13, here's what God does. God lays his hands on him and sends him out into the mission field, on, starts him on, on three missionary journeys. So he thinks one thing for Paul to like totally change teams and come, well, here's, here's where it really gets real. Like, okay, now I have to go to an unknown place, an unknown people and preach the gospel. Like, but yes, we're going to learn Paul steps out and takes risks continually for the glory of God. And this is really what it means to be on mission for Christ. 
This is really what it means for us. He's going to teach us what it means for us to really be on mission for Christ, being on mission for Jesus Christ. I think we've heard this over and over, but let me remind you again of some truths. Being on mission for Jesus Christ is not simply meant for us to be as Christians sitting around having nice philosophical discussions about what it means to be on mission. It's not about us even just giving our money and, and giving our prayers so other people can do the dirty work. Here's what being on mission is. It means that we are all just like Paul and his pals. We are missionaries for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was young in Sunday school and in VBS, we used to sing this song. And again, you know me by now. I can hear the words, the tune in my head. It won't come out my mouth the same way, so let me quote it for you. It goes this. It goes, be a missionary every day. Anyone remember this song? Anyone remember this song? Okay, I'm going to sing it. Just, Just humor me. All right? Don't make fun of me. I'm just going to sing it. It goes, be a missionary every day. And then you go, tell the world that Jesus is the... It's already going flat, so... <laughs> you ever heard of it? It goes, be in the town or country or the busy avenue. Africa or Asia, the task is up to you. Just... It's way more effective when I say it and not sing it, right? <laughs> just be a missionary every day, wherever you are. Whoever you meet, be a missionary. That's our calling. And so I know so many of you here want to be on mission. You've been praying that God will help you be on mission. We're going to learn three things simply from this chapter today, what it is as I step out in faith, how I can do this effectively for the Lord. Let me read for you verses one to three, and we'll stop. We're going to read, stop, talk about it, read, stop, talk about it. I'm not, not hit every single verse in here for the length of the passage. You don't want to be here till noon, but I'm going to hit the key ones. First thing I want you to write in your notes is this. As I step out in faith to follow God, I must get this. It's not I should or I maybe could. It's I must, number one, be diligent to pursue the Lord's leading. As I step out in faith to follow God, I must be diligent to pursue the Lord's leading. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, who's Paul, sent off. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, the leaders of the church, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and men, and a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Might seem like it's a simple intro to Paul's missionary journey. Like, what's so special this? What are we going to say about this for, for, for the next few minutes? Well, there's, there's some significant things happening here in the first few verses of Acts chapter 13. Saul is becoming the first missionary that God ever sent out. We've been waiting for this. We've been waiting for this. See, see the, the, the map here. Remember, we started with a little group of believers in Jerusalem, and that little, that little flame started of God's work moving forward, and it kind of started spreading. Well, all these other flames of fire that are on this map are what Paul's going to accomplish just on his first missionary journey, which is chapter 13 to, the, to chapter 14, 26. And Saul is stepping out to be the first missionary for Jesus Christ, but how did it happen? I love how this text points out how it happened, because so often we get this all mixed up, and we're like, okay, I'm supposed to be on mission for Jesus, I'm going to be on mission for Jesus, I'm just going to roll up my sleeves, and I'm going to do it, but wait, but wait, but wait, please don't do that, there's something significant you have to do before you ever take a step out on mission for Jesus. What is it? It's pray and fast before the Lord to see where God is leading you to be on mission. Notice this about Saul, Paul, names interchangeable. Where did Paul's calling come from on mission for Jesus? It was in the war room of prayer. He wasn't in his room dreaming up all the wonderful things that he was going to do for God. It wasn't that Saul was in his office writing his his vision for his life of this is what I'm going to accomplish for God and here's the next five years and ten years. It wasn't there. It wasn't even in his rec room with all of his buddies hanging around him saying, oh, Paul, you're so gifted and you're God's gift to the church. You can do anything your little heart wants to. Ever heard that before? But it wasn't where his missionary journey started. Where was it? Come on, where was it? In the prayer room. Seeking the Lord with other believers, what, what's, what Paul wanted more than even his life being useful. He wanted to love God and know God and, and just be filled with the presence of God. Here's where our missionary calling starts. And so he's gathered together here with 
fellow God seekers just wanting to be in a place of worship. And who are these guys? These are guys who are the, the leaders of the church at Antioch, the first Gentile church. Remember, we studied that a few weeks ago, the first Gentile church. And, and they're really a, a ragtag group of guys. They're not the traditional, like, well, these guys will obviously be the guys praying in a room together. These are the clean-cut church leaders that we kind of think of. These were, these were just regular guys that had been so radically changed by God, they just wanted God's presence. They wanted to be, they were willing to follow God wherever he led. And so here's who some of these guys were. They were prophets and teachers within the church, church leadership at Antioch. Barnabas, we heard of him, right? He's, he's, he's the, the ultimate encourager, Mr. Nice Guy, the son of encouragement. So he's there. He seems to always be there, doesn't he? He's Paul's little sidekick that's like, you can do it, Paul. That's him. Simeon, who was called Niger, he was probably a, a, a guy from the, the African Jewish community. His name insinuates, as you study it, that he was probably from a, not from the area, but, but, but a, uh, from another ethnicity. Lucius of Cyrene, he's one of the guys that um, probably came to Antioch to preach. And then this guy named Manon, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch. And, and this guy was probably one of Herod Antipas's half-brothers who grew up with Herod. Remember, Herod was like the the ultimate opposer of God, another guy that God had saved and called out for the purposes of God, which is pretty significant. And then, of course, we have Saul, the Godfighter turned friend. We know his story. It shows already just the diversity of what God does in the church. He brings all kinds of people together for his purposes. Not limited, God's not limited to background or tradition or skin color or race. We know that, right? But what are these guys doing? These guys are drawn together to seek God. They're drawn together by a Savior. And you know what they're engaged in? A good old-fashioned prayer meeting. Probably one, though, that we've probably never experienced before. This is like an all-nighter prayer meeting. One where, like, we don't care about what sports games are on. We don't care about, like, what my friends are doing. We're just gathering together. What are we going to do tonight? We're not going to play board games. It's fun to play board games. We're not playing board games. We want something more than all those things. We want to seek God and know the presence of God. So... Kind of like a youth all-nighter, you know, except a lot different. You know, where they come and they, they don't sleep all night. They giggle a lot and eat lots of popping chips. Well, these, these guys are, are there, but for much greater purpose. So much so they're not even thinking about popping chips or feeding their bellies. They're fasting. They're fasting. What does fasting mean? It means that they're, they're really setting aside their physical desires, because we all get hungry, physical desires, in order to seek the greater need of their hearts, which is to be filled with God. And it's in this context, it's in this context of a prayer meeting, fasting, wanting nothing more and nothing less than all of God that the Holy Spirit shows up. And he shows up not in an audible way, but in a way that they're probably praying. And one of the guys in the prayer is like, man, you know what? As we're praying, as we're praying, God's stirring my heart. I think Paul and Barnabas should go out and be missionaries. And probably he's like a little bit afraid to say that and stop the prayer meeting. He probably somehow squeaks it out like, hey, I'm just really sensing this time that we ought to pray that Paul and Barnabas should be missionaries. And one of the other guys is like, really? Like, that's what I've been thinking about right now too. That's crazy. And one of the other guys is like, stop it, guys. Are you, are you joking me right now? Is this I was just thinking the same thing. And Saul and Barnabas going like, that's uncanny because as we're praying, God's stirring in me the same reality. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks, right? You, you want the Holy Spirit to speak, you know where it starts? Prayer forsaking all else to seek God. You want, you want to know what God wants for your life? Start praying with a group of people who aren't there, there to tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear, but to pray with you for what God wants you to do in your life. This is where it starts. And so Saul and Barnabas, the guys are like, well, this is crazy. All five of us are on the same page. This is how our elders work too, by the way. We pray hard until God moves in all of us and then we move forward. It's like, we better go out and do it. No, it's what they say, what they say? They continue to pray. And after fasting and praying some more, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this little commissioning service was like, okay, guys, like, just go do it. Just go do it. This is, I know we're only three verses in. We've got a lot to go, but I just got to stop and say this because this is su such a vital point for your lives as you think about being on mission for Jesus Christ. Your calling starts and ends with God and not you. I've had so many people come busting into my office over the last 20 some odd years of ministry and like, pastor, pastor, like God's really burdened my heart to, uh, to fully serve him and like, here's what I'm gonna do and what do you think? I think you should stop and pray about it. <laughs> but it's on my heart and it's what I wanna do and I think it's an always a bad plan is what I tell people to go, ever go do something without first seeking God. 
And how many people have I watched get frustrated in life and, and struggle because, because this is what I'm going to do for the Lord. It's what's going to make me happy and only to find that when we do things in our way and our agenda and our calling, it always ends up like futile. But on the flip side of that, how many people I've seen that have really sought the Lord and said, God, I think this is where you're leading me and, and gathered people around them that can be good godly counsel to them and, and really prayed and prayed and prayed and, and got up from praying saying, yeah, this is what God wants, wants you to do. And, and how many times I've seen men and women be so fruitful to the Lord because it's been God's agenda, God's time, and God's way. See, there's a massive difference, isn't there? I know so many of you through the series on being on mission are like just, your brains are spinning with, well, what can I do for God? And you're like, I could do that, I could do that, I could do this, I could do this, I just wanna be useful for God. Awesome, I'm hearing this from you, praise the Lord, but, but you can't miss it. You gotta get on your face and start fasting and praying and seeking the Lord to see where God wants to use you in this life. It's the only way to do it. How many people really miss out on God's calling because they've never started here? How people walk through life struggling with, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what I'm called to do? I don't know, but, but they've never really stopped to seek the Lord earnestly. Like not, not for the answers I want to hear, but really stopped to seek, God, what do you want for my life? I learned this principle early in life, in Bible college, actually. I've tried to live by it, not perfectly, but I've tried to live by it. And I learned it from a study of Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And in that study, it's about a guy who was an American pastor here in Canada in the early 70s, and he was just doing his pastoral thing and really sensing that God wanted more for him and more for his church. So they just started calling prayer meetings together, started praying their hearts out. This is, you know, the Saskatoon revival of the early 70s. And as they prayed, God would just seem to direct them to certain houses and to certain churches and, and they simply prayed and followed and every time they prayed and God spoke and they followed, guess what? God would do amazing things and before they knew it, there was like revival breaking out like a wildfire, like a prairie wildfire spreading across the prairies. This was happening in, in Canada in the early 70s. And I read that and I'm like, man, that, that's what I want God to do in my life and through my life. Like, who cares about what I think I should be doing? I had a lot of plans in college of what I should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And honestly, this was not one of the things that ever entered the equation. Wait a minute, number 10 or 11 after my like top six. And I realized in that study that man, men, women, if we're really gonna be effective for God, it's gotta start there. On our faces saying, God, whatever you want for me, I will do. But more than anything else, I just want your, I want to know you. I want your love and your blessing and your power. That's where it starts. You know what else i learning as we go and I learned early on? This is exactly how Jesus did ministry. This is exactly how Jesus did ministry. John 5, 19 to 20 says this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. This, this is the Son of God here on earth. What does he say? I can do nothing of my own accord. How foolish we are to think we can do something of our own accord. My own will, my own design. But only what I see my Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does. Likewise, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. A lot more of this chapter to cover, but I just want to tell you this as you consider what God's got for you. Some things you don't have to pray about. What's God got for your life? Some things you don't have to pray about. Loving God and loving others and serving your family and reading your Bible and spending time in prayer and coming to church and investing your life in a body of believers. and Those things you don't have to pray about. But as far as the specific calling upon your life, like if, if, you don't, if you don't know where God wants to use you, start praying. God has a place for you inside the church and he's got a place for you outside the church. Start praying. You want your life to make an impact, start praying. God, would you, would you show me who in my world needs to hear about Jesus Christ that is open and ready and eager to hear? Start praying those prayers. Those aren't prayers God's not gonna answer. Show me how, God, you've uniquely wired me that I can make an impact for the glory of God in this world. Those are prayers that God is going to answer as you seek him for what he wants for your life. This is where Saul's calling came from. This is where every true biblical calling comes from. If we're going to get on God's page, it starts with prayer and fasting. And notice, too, how 
the importance of others around Paul and Saul, Paul and Barnabas in this. It's not just, here's what I want to do, and I think God's speaking to me now. Blessed God, it's, it's having enough humility to come around and say, other believers, again, who are going to actually tell you the truth, uh, help me know, help me know, help me know what you want for me. Pray with me that God will show you. It's, this is how God moves. And as Saul and Barnabas follow the Lord's leading, he sends them off. And here's point number two I want you to write down. If we're going to step out for God, number one, we better be really seeking God. If you're going to do it in your own power, your own strength, your own wisdom, it's going to fail. If you're going to do it in God, though, it's going to succeed by the grace of God for the glory of God. Number two is this, be ready to take a hard stand for truth. Be ready to take a hard stand for truth. So here's Barnabas and Saul, they're God-ordained, man-confirmed, away they go. They get the sails up. This is going to be awesome, right? Like smooth sailing the whole way. They set sail. Look what it says here. Being sent out by who? Who are they sent out by? Ultimately, the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. They're like, they're like sailing. They're flying, right? Then they arrived at Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. And they had John to assist them. They had this nice little crew, a little team going, a little, a little staff team going, making ways for Jesus. When they got through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician. So they're preaching and teaching and making as much headway as they can. They come across a certain Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul to, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for the, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And he said this, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Very clearly we see in this that if we're going to step out in faith, we must be ready to take a hard stand for truth. It's pretty simple, this passage. I sometimes wonder why these are in here, but it's pretty simple. Saul and Barnabas are teaching this guy named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus or son of Jonah, ultimately son of salvation. This guy shows up that's like Every time they would speak, he'd twist it. Every time they'd try to take a step forward, he'd step in their way. Anytime they'd say, go this way, he'd say, go that way, one of those guys. Obviously, the guy who thought he was the cat's meow, pretty good guy, right, who, who also take the name Bar-Jesus, right? Almost like, hey, look at me, like Jesus is pretty good, but I'm like next in line. And so this became a frustrating thing, and, and we've already talked many times, if we're going to be on mission, we're just going to run into all types of people, right, who are going to oppose us, and some of them are going to be false teachers, don't know how it all played out because we only have a few sentences here, but basically the bottom line is Saul ended up having a stare down with Bar-Jesus, right? Like the old Western movies are like, you're going to draw, you're going to draw? This stare down. And, and then he says this to him, which is pretty bold words. You son of the devil. Like, I honestly I can't imagine ever saying this to anybody. You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? As soon as he said that, the guy goes blind. What's the blindness about? It's just showing his own spiritual blindness and the blindness of Israel. This, this, is, this is showing you what is really going on in your heart, the blindness of everyone else. So he's, he's now like this, this bold, like, hey, look at me, son of salvation. He's now all of a sudden like, hey, uh, can, you help me? can you help me walk, please? Isn't that interesting? The proconsul sees this. God gives him the faith to put one plus one, and he becomes saved. And we have this little portion of scripture that shows us a picture of what we're going to encounter when we step out to follow God on mission. It's, it's not all going to be smooth sailing. There's going to be people who oppose us. There's going to be false teachers who come in and try and everything we say, they're going to be doing the same thing. You know, every word that comes out of our mouths, like, it's not really what it means. 
Every time we try and take a step forward, like, hey, let's stop this. And every time we point in a direction, we point in the other direction. What do we do with these people? I think what God's telling us is we, you got to hear me out. I've not done this whole point yet, so don't jump to conclusions. We, I think we got to take a stand for Jesus Christ. It's time to take a stand for Jesus Christ and call out falsehood. Call out false teachers. What are false teachers? You have to know this because our world is full of them today, just as it was back then. Matthew 7, 15 says, Beware of false prophets or teachers that act like sheep but are really wolves. Notice how Jesus is in this guy's name. Every false teacher that that is really a good false teacher will say the name Jesus somewhere in their sermons and somehow try and use Scripture, whether it's using it appropriately or not appropriately. This is calling us to be aware of false teachers that, that A, we wouldn't go astray and B, that we, would, that we wouldn't allow them to let others go astray. Here's what a false teacher ultimately is. It's one who, who would then deny the inerrancy of Scripture. You know, it's God's word and part of it's true but part of it isn't or, or someone who would deny that Jesus is divine. He's fully God and fully man and, or, or someone that would deny Jesus' sacrificial substitution for us. Jesus really didn't have to die just a way of showing you love. I know he had to die for us. Read Hebrews. It's someone who would, who would minimize sin. Oh, I know it says in the Bible that's sin, but don't worry about it. Now you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's someone who would definitely not be quick to, to promote pursuing righteousness and pursuing holiness in your life. It's someone that takes the word of God and twists it and manipulates it so it sounds good to the ears. It tickles our ears. It feels good in our souls. But it really is not at all what the word of God says. You don't have to look far for them in today's day and age. What do you do when they come into your life and actually start opposing what you're doing and saying and, and people coming behind you and you're, you're trying to t- tell people, Jesus, they're coming behind you and trying to undo all the things that you're, you're saying and doing. What do you do? I, I think this passage is telling us you actually have to take a stand for truth. I know it's not a comfortable thing to hear. I know it's not common to our culture today, but, but here's what Saul does. And then I want to say this about the way Saul does is Saul is an apostolic, anointed, full of the Holy Spirit, prophet of God. And so there's times to stand for truth, but if you make this the new norm of how you talk to people, this is not going to go over well for you or anyone else. Agreed? I know some of you might be sitting here going like, woohoo, I don't have precedence to be an obnoxious, belligerent Christian. That's not what it's saying. Well, Paul did it. Paul was actually also... An apostle filled the Holy Spirit. If we go around talking to people like this, we're gonna, people are not going to like us. We know they're not going to like us, but they're not going to like us with good reason. We're actually not going to be representing Jesus Christ unless it's done in the right way and the right spirit and actually make ourselves a rightfully due punch in the nose. So it's not what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that this is what God calls us to always be and do, but well, I think what we're learning in Scripture, there's a time to fully take a stand for what is right and what is wrong, what is truth and what is falsehood. Amen. And to be bold for Jesus. The Bible's filled with passages that say be bold. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. They're fearless and confident. Yeah, we also have to look at the whole scripture, right? It's easy, it's easy to isolate one scripture and say, that's where I'm going. But we also have to take in consideration the fearless and confident bold as a lion with, with passages like Ephesians 4.15. We speak the truth in love. Well, Saul doesn't seem to be doing that. Actually, the most loving thing we can do for somebody is to point out truth to them. And sometimes the only way people are going to hear is if it's like with energy and exuberance. Agreed? I say it to my son sometimes. He's like, why'd you yell? Because you weren't listening any other way. Because I love you, son. I had to get the point across. You've got to consider 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with what? Gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I think this passage is teaching us that although we might not always do it in the way Saul did it, there is a time and a place for the Christian to love God and love truth enough to step up and step out and put their own reputations, I guess you could say, on the line for Jesus Christ. 
But when we do so, we better make sure that we are filled with prayer and filled with the Holy Spirit and doing it in the right heart and the right spirit for the Lord. This comes up all the time in church leadership. I guarantee you our elders aren't sitting in, the, in our elders' room excited about having to confront falsehood or sin. It's not one of those things like, woo guess what we get to do tomorrow? But yet why do we do it? Because we love God and we love his truth and we just want people to walk in the right way. It's not just elders that are called to do this. It's every Christian who loves God is called to step out in the same way and to contend for the truth, to contend for the word of God. It's what every parent's called to do with their kids. They see their kids maybe believing the wrong things and walking into sin. We're called to stand and contend. So how do we do this then? If we're called to it, we know it's not necessarily every time like Paul. Here's where we're at. Like, coming at you, coming at you. How do we do this? Well, here's, here's some things I've learned over the last number of years of, of life and ministry of some things I think you can put into practice as you follow God's call to step out and be ready to handle sin or falsehood that comes your way. This isn't a call on the pastor. This isn't just a call on the staff or the elders. This is a call on every believer to be in your word, to know your word, and to know when something is false coming your way, and then to, and then to handle it appropriately in the Lord. And so here's a guide to handling sin or falsehood that I've adapted from somewhere. I'm not sure where, but if you Googled it, you might find it. I tried, but my own words, my own thoughts, but it's come from somewhere that hasn't been me. I just want to make that clear. But here's a guide to handling sin and falsehood. Number one is I think, you have that little graph on there? There it is. Guide to handling sin or falsehood. There's, there's, there's different rungs to a confronting sin or falsehood. If you always come at it with a saw like, you son of the devil, might not be so effective. Right? Here, here's how generally I think about confronting sin and falsehood. Four different rungs on the ladder. First one is a gentle rung of like, hey, you know, I just want to bring to your attention, I love you, brother, sister, I just want to bring to your attention some of the things you're believing and some of the things that are coming out of your mouth or some of the things you're doing are just not of the Lord. And, and can you just hear a loving exhortation from a brother and can I show you some, some passion of scripture? Just very gentle, ex- give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they had no idea that what they were believing or doing was, was false. That goes on deaf ears, time passes, and there's no set, here's what, time, here's what it is, time passes, you keep praying for them, the Holy Spirit leads you, here's rung two. Rung two is you kind of come back to them moderately. All right, so I already had one conversation about this, and this doesn't seem like you're really getting this, so I was, let me say it a little straighter, let me say it a little straighter. Here's what God's word says. You need to go home and study these passages and, and you need to like get into the word of God, you need to get you know, good God people around you or good commentators around you to help you study. A little more like straightforward. Like you were going the wrong way. I didn't want to say it the first time because I didn't want to offend you. You were going the wrong way. Now you need to get going the right way. That still doesn't work. Here's rung three. Firmly. You all know how to be firm. You all know how to be firm. Things that matter most to you, you'll be firm about. Don't touch my iPhone. Or you, know how to be, you know how to be firm. That's my dinner. You said you didn't want fries. Don't eat my fries. Firmly. All right, look it, like a little more intensity, like I care about your soul. Like, here's what we've been talking about, and it's still not changing. You, you, you got to listen. Please, I appeal to you to listen. Not because I hate you, because I love you. I want to see you walking in the right way. That still doesn't work. There's a fourth rung, and here's what it is. It's intensely. Hammer drops, no mincing words. This is, this is it. This is for your own good and the good of the gospel. Here's the reality. Here's what needs to happen. This is not good. You're in blatant disregard for God and his ways. There's eternal consequences to this. This is the, the last rung on the ladder. I think we're good at the first rung, and someone's pretty good at the second rung, but the third and fourth rung in our culture, we're like, well, that's just arrogant. Is it arrogant to stand on truth? Is it arrogant to confront falsehood in a, someone who's falsely teaching others and leading them to hell? Is it arrogant to, to, to come and, and be passionate? People might misinterpret our passion. Is it arrogant to be passionate about the truth, about people's souls forever? Is it wrong? What do you think? Is it wrong? I'll tell you what, I watch my kids walking towards a little fire, and I'm not caring about what they think, to be honest. Maya's drawn to fire and water. Ever since she was little, she, she can't seem to get away from it. And every time she gets too near that fire, I swoop in and I grab her and I don't care what she's kicking or screaming. I drag her away from the fire. Why? Because I'm a mean dad. Right? You didn't have to pick me up so hard. Of course I did. You were going to burn yourself. Sometimes we're going to have to, with prayer, humility, and love, also follow Paul's example 
of standing up for what is right and what is true. Even if it means somebody's not gonna like us, even if it means that people are gonna misinterpret our passion in the wrong way. Paul goes hardcore instantly. I don't know what transpired in this whole scenario, but we don't go there. But we do start on rung number one and, and slowly go up. This isn't just a church leadership thing. If this church is going to continue in the right way. If we're going to continue in the right doctrine, it's all of us doing this all the time. Studying and knowing and being bold and loving people enough. Church history, you know why we have pure doctrine and good doctrine? Because church history is full of these people. We herald them as heroes now, right? But at the time, Martin Luther's 95 thesis, he was not the most popular kid on the block when he hammered that on the church doors. Are we thankful he did it? I think God wants us in our culture to rise up, to rise up, to step out, to love him and love truth enough that we're even willing to put ourselves on the line. Please, are you hearing what I'm saying and not hearing? And hearing what I'm not saying? I hope you got this straight. The Bible is not, not arrogant, not belligerent, but with passion and love, we are also called to step out and do this. This is part of what our calling is on mission. Lord, help us, amen? Lord, help us do this. Last point, last point, number three. As they step out on faith to follow God, I must also be this, be eager to seize opportunities to preach Jesus Christ. Please don't get into this idea now where all we're doing is we're just we're like truth mongers, right? And, and we're just here to be the truth police and all we're just making sure that everyone's preaching truth. No, that, 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 that's partly what our calling is. That's not the, the full calling. Here's the message we love to share. We necessarily don't like doing the truth thing, but we are called to. We, we love it because we love Jesus. Here's the message that we love to share is we're eager to seize opportunities to preach Jesus Christ. You can already feel it, what's gonna happen, right? After Saul, Paul faces off this draw with false prophet. You know what's happening, right? He's going to preach a sermon. He preaches a sermon every like chapter and a half in Acts. There's nine, 28 chapters in Acts, 19 sermons. Every chapter and a half, Paul is preaching a good model for us. If chapters of our lives, we ought to be preaching every chapter, chapter and a half of our lives. Taking every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's what's happening, verse 13. So after this goes down, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and come to Perga in Pamphylia. John left them and turned, returned to Jerusalem there. Why did John leave? We don't know. There's a whole debate about this. It's going to come up later, so let me kind of give you a quick Cole's notes on this. Some think that John was scared because they're going into Pamphylia where all the, the robbers were, and some thinks the, there's going to be persecu new persecution was going to come because of all that's going down, so he got, he got scared. I, I think maybe just a mama's boy, and he didn't like traveling anymore. He was his mom. Irregardless, he went home, and so this became a bone of contention between Paul and Barnabas, and they're gonna debate about this. So he goes home, cruised down to a couple. They go on the Sabbath day and went to the synagogue and sat down. Verse 15, after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue send a message to them saying this. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, motioning with his hand. He said this, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen up. Then he simply goes into the gospel message. And the rest of this chapter, I'm not going to read every verse, but the rest of this chapter is, is the gospel. So here's, here's Paul and Barnabas sitting in the back of church on a Sunday morning of a church they've probably never been to before. And the, someone comes up and he's like, hey, hey, you want to preach? That'd be a little intimidating for you. I'm a preacher and I'd be like, mm -mm, I'm good, you did well. And look how eager, look how Paul's heart must have been in that space where he's always thinking about God, always ready for the next opportunity to share Christ. Hey, hey, Paul, you want to preach? Absolutely. He gets up, and this sermon is a simple sermon like all the other ones we've studied so far. Let me, let me give you a brief synopsis of it. He basically starts with, with, with David. He goes, hey, remember to the people, the Jewish people, remember that God promised the Messiah was going to come through David? That's Jesus. Remember when John the Baptist came proclaiming that he was, there was someone greater that was going to come? That's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one God promised and is now delivered to you. The problem is, fellas, Paul, not, not shy, right, is, is that when he came, we, you killed him. You hammered him to a tree. You killed the Son of God, but yet God in his providence and his mercy, he raised him from the dead, raised him to blessing that he might be the one to forgive us our sins and free us 
from the consequences and the power of sin. It's really a simple message. The gospel is really simple. We make it so much harder than it is. Of course, this isn't this whole sermon. It's just a synopsis of it, but, but look at the verses 38 to 40. He's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't Let it be known, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from, from the law. In other words, the consequences of sin, the, the control of sin in your life, you can be freed from all that. And so it's a really simple gospel message, the one that we aim to preach week in and week out, week, week in and week out. But then he goes in verse 41, look at what, so part of our role as believers in, in preaching the gospel is simply just tell the story of Jesus. I've said it to you over and over. And, but then look what he does in verse 41, I love this. Because he doesn't just leave it at sharing, he's also bold enough to like call them to a response. He's even bold enough to say, hey, but, but look out that you don't miss this, brothers and sisters. Look out that you don't miss this. Look, you scoffers. Be astonished, be astounded, and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. You say, but don't miss this. Don't look, look out that you don't miss out. So he's got an urgency to even tell them, like, I'm, I'm telling you this, but please don't be so arrogant. Please, please don't be so arrogant that you laugh at this message of Jesus. Don't, don't, don't be so hardened in your ways that you miss out on this life-giving truth of Jesus. Some of you are going to by God's design, but, 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 if, but please just listen up. So verse 42, so he goes out and the people begged him to keep coming. Isn't it interesting how we just preach the truth and people beg us to keep coming back? We're so worried about what people are going to say. That some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to love it and beg us to come back. And so they come back and they preach. The next Sunday, almost the whole town gathered to hear from the Lord. All of a sudden, Paul's preaching. Jews are filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. Again, false teachers contradicting what's spoken by Paul, reviling him. They hated him. Paul just keeps going like a trooper. Verse 48, and the Gentiles heard this. He basically says, hey, you guys, are, you guys are missing it, Jews. You guys are missing it. And because you're missing it, now the gospel's open to the Gentiles. The Gentiles hear this, and they are thrilled, and they're glorifying God, the word of God. As many were as appointed to eternal life, believed. Don't miss that verse. Those who say that God doesn't choose you, as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord is speaking throughout the whole region. Last verse, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit's power. Here's the lesson I think we learned from this last part of Acts for our own lives as we think about being on mission. God's calling us to be like Paul and to be eager to seize opportunities to preach Jesus Christ. God is filling our lives with the same opportunities he's filled Paul's with. There's opportunities every week that we have to share Jesus Christ. And the question is, are we aware of these opportunities? Are we in a place in our heads and our hearts where we're loving God and looking out for the things of God in a place where we're ready to seize these opportunities and stand up and preach Jesus Christ? And when we do, if, we, if we are, God's going to bless us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to use it for his glory. Don't forget, New Testament, where people are just like us, men and women who are, who are broken and frail and sinful, just like us, and yet God used surrendered people for his great purposes. Bring you back to 1 Peter 3.15. This is a calling of our lives on mission. If we're going to step out for God, we need to step out being always in our hearts, honoring Christ the Lord as holy and always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason, for the hope that is in you. This is God's calling us to always be ready. What does it mean to always be ready? It means to always be ready to give a reason for our hope and our belief in Jesus Christ. Do you realize that when you put on the full armor of God, one of the last things you put on, Ephesians 6.15, is shoes to your feet that's gonna be the readiness of the gospel, your, your, your fast shoes for Jesus. Ready to jump up and take the gospel anywhere. We're called to be always ready to preach Christ. You might have a job, but you know your great work that you're called to is preach Jesus Christ. You might be going to hang out with your friends and have a, have a good time. You know what the greatest joy you can have with your friends is? Is, is telling about Jesus Christ. Are we ready for opportunities like Paul is ready? Are we ready for opportunities? Or are we kind of leaving church at church, going throughout our week, and like, God, oh, I don't know, God, bring me opportunities this week. I have to be honest, it's easy for me to be ready to give you a 45-minute sermon on Sunday. You know why? Because I've been preparing for it all week long. It's, it's a, a good chunk of my week is studying and praying. And, and you know what I'm not always ready for is those random chance... Not chance, those random God-ordained encounters with people. 
when he provides me an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Happened again just last haircut a week and a half ago, and I've been going to the same barber for six years, and when I first went, I, I started like trying to tell what I did, and that usually brings a discussion. Usually, is a discussion starter or a discussion stopper right off the bat? <laughs> Seemed with him as a discussion stopper, so I kind of just stopped talking about it, and honestly, my barber's time is a place where I can have quiet now, because no one talks. He doesn't talk. I don't talk, and it's you not know, much quiet in the day, so it's in the barber's chair. I close my eyes, and it's nice. Last haircut I went, out of, the no, out of nowhere, he's like, so what do you think? What's man's problem? Can we solve our anxiety problem or what? I was so rattled by that question. I was like, I almost shifted and got my ear cut off. <laughs> I just wasn't expecting it. And so I, you know, blumbered through an answer that was probably incoherent, thinking that it was done. And you know, that is, so I have another question. Does money really buy happiness? And I'm like, buddy, you haven't talked to me in six years. Friday night, 7 o'clock after this, like, give me some prep for this stuff, you know? <laughs> Worked my way through that question the best way I knew how with, like, actually it doesn't. You know, God's the one that brings it. It almost came back to God and the gospel, right? And again, bumbled through it. And what was his last question? I can't remember what his last question was. Oh, yeah. So what is the ultimate solution to the world's problems, do you think? <laughs> Man, I wish I'd been ready for that opportunity, you know what I mean? I would have come with like my three points. Thing, or, you know, I would have been ready. How long have we got? 25 minutes. Let's go. Good reminder that I'm not always ready. I'm not always in that. But, but part of being on mission is being always ready. Probably 99% of your opportunities to share Christ, you know where they're going to come? On the spur of the moment. The conversation that you didn't expect to have. I'm just calling to see if you want to have supper tonight. Oh, we're just gathered together for wings, and, and we're talking hockey, like, in the barber's chair. Over the fences, you're raking leaves with your neighbor, and you're like, so what's up with you? Those are where your opportunities are going to come from most of the time. God-ordained opportunities that he's been preparing somebody else for and you for, that when they come, he's calling us to be ready to, to teach and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be on mission. Always Ready. In the word on a week, daily basis, every day of the week. Why? Not always for what I can get out of it for me. We always think I, 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 I. But maybe God's going to tell me something today that he's going to use in my life for what they need to hear from me that they're never going to hear because they're never going to open up the Bible themselves. Constantly in prayer, God, help me have opportunities. Help me be ready. Constantly looking for opportunities to be ready. Having my heart, this is what God's calling us to do, is having a heart set on the Lord and set apart for the Lord. A heart set on Jesus. It's having a head that's engaged in the word and eager to share. It's having hands that are eager to help in the name of Jesus. This is where opportunities are going to come from. Always ready. It's having heels or feet that are willing to take the gospel anywhere and everywhere. And oftentimes, it's got to know this, Oftentimes, it's not going to be comfortable. But I'm waiting for the perfect opportunity, the perfect time when it makes sense and I'm so comfortable and everything just kind of flows into place. You might be waiting a lifetime for that opportunity. Being on mission means that I am ready to seize God's opportunities when he brings them. Are you ready for the opportunities God brings you? Are you living with a missional mindset? Are you living with a missional mindset? Every day, another opportunity to teach Jesus Christ. Every day, another opportunity to reflect Jesus Christ to the world around us. So desperately, don't, don't kid me, desperately needs Jesus. You know what my barber told me? He told me that, that, that the majority of people who sit at his seat, they talk about money and how that's going to bring happiness. He said, thank you for having a different conversation. I was tired of the other one. Are we ready for those conversations? That's what it means to be on mission. Ready to be uncomfortable for Jesus. Are we ready to... Start praying, God, use me. Where are you going to use me? However you, how do you want to use me? Are we ready to start praying those prayers and fasting and praying and asking God for opportunities? Are we ready to take a stand for truth even when it's not going to be comfortable or popular? Are we willing to take a stand for truth? It's part of being on mission. Am I willing to be looking for, in the midst of my busyness and my agenda, the opportunities that God gives me to share Jesus Christ with those around me? This is what it means to step out for Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, it's time. It's time. Some of you have never stepped out in your whole lives. It's time. 
It's time. There's, there's, there's no point waiting until next year. You turn a certain age. It's time. It's time to step out for Jesus Christ today. Start praying. Start standing for truth. Start looking. It's time. I read this great quote. I'm going to finish with this this week by Leonard Ravenhill. It says this. And I realize it's key to us actually taking all these teachings in action, actually just actually living them out for the glory of God. He said this, I'm sick and tired of only reading about church history. Let's by the grace of God make some church history. I'm sick and tired of, reading, of only reading about church history. Let's make some church history by the grace of God. You know where history is made, brothers and sisters? By us being willing to step out of our comfort zones for Jesus Christ and take risks for the glory of God. I'm praying there's a holy discontent with being content within your life. And God will stir you to a place where like, man, I only want one thing, God and God alone. I want every person I know to know Jesus Christ. That when I, get, when I die, when I meet Jesus, I can say my life was well lived for the gospel and the glory of God. That's what I'm praying for your heart, my heart, and our church. Let me pray that into reality as the worship team comes. Father, I thank you for this text, some text we come across, we're like, what's that for? How's that in there for me, for my life? We see how every word you've given us in your word is so powerful and so alive and so telling of our own hearts and so guiding to show us the way to live fully for you. God, I pray that for everyone here, we'd simply be willing to step out for Jesus Christ. Any fear, God, in this room, would you dispel it with faith? Any insecurity, God, would you dispel that with security in Jesus Christ? Any excuses, God, would you replace the excuses with truth and with our calling? Father, I pray we wouldn't be people who just talk about the mission and pray for the mission and give to the mission. But God, we'd be men and women who go on mission every day, praying hard, standing for truth, seizing every opportunity to teach Jesus Christ. We know you've given them. We know if you've called us to this, you're gonna give us the opportunities. Help us, Lord, live a fruitful life for the glory of the gospel. And help us to never waver from this. In Jesus' name, amen.